The teaching text today comes from the New Testament. The first reading comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our second reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Uh, This is David from Fort Greene uh, here in downtown Brooklyn. Uh, It's a privilege to be with you uh, on this Sunday morning. On March 8th, Lisa and I hopped on a plane as uh, I was asked to perform a wedding uh, for a couple actually recently part of this church in South Africa. And uh, it was an amazing week, just a beautiful, beautiful wedding. But uh, during the week, we received uh, news that this virus is spreading rapidly and radically. And so we started making plans to get back early. We, uh, we hopped on a plane. We landed back here. Thank God it was one of the few planes that was still leaving South Africa. Otherwise, our kids would have been stranded with strangers. Um, and we returned to a world that was very different from the one that we left. As a result of the virus and the news and everything that happened, this world we left would never be the same again. We still don't know what a month from now will look like or a year from now will look like or five years even. But we do know that as a result of what happened, everything is different. We are now uh, seven uh, weeks approximately into this quarantine. Um, And uh, this has been the week of self-inflicted haircuts. And that's why Caleb couldn't do the sermon this morning. No, no, I'm just kidding. His hair is fine. He's fine. Don't worry about him. Some of us uh, didn't get to say goodbye to the New York we used to know, and that's hard. Many of us uh, have started uh, moving to different cities, and the upheaval has changed circumstances radically. And if you're watching, please know our prayers and thoughts are with, with, with you even now as, as you go through that. Now, that was bad news as such, but there have been times in the world where good news has come, like when the Berlin Wall uh, fell down or like when the World War II ended. The news of that end comes 
as, as a kind of breaking point, but the reality of life and how life will change as a result of that news will still happen. And in some senses, the passages we're looking at during this series, Resurrection in Place, is the news of Jesus' resurrection and how it was now going to impact life as we know it on earth. Last week, if you missed it, um, we spoke about the, the believers in fear being huddled in an upper room, being locked in for fear of their own lives. They were anxious and worried. And that's where they begin, scared that they would lose their lives. But then if you fast forward to where we are now, this movement of Jesus has changed the entire world. Everything is completely different. What happened between those two things? That's what we're looking at through these passages. One Yale historian said this, Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 years. If it were possible with some sort of supermagnet to pull up out of the history every scrap metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? Jesus' impact and the impact of his movement by virtue of his disciples has changed how we view women and children, how we view the most vulnerable in society, how governmental uh, models are set up, how constitutions uh, come into being, how hospitals are formed, the education system, the penal system. Everything has been impacted by the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. And like N.T. Wright says, that resurrection was the moment of inauguration of the new kingdom. But now, as we look at the disciples, we're facing the rest of history, as we now know it, being the implementation of that kingdom. How did this transformation happen from fearful and anxious, locked up, to being willing to give up their lives for this cause? During this moment, we see interactions with Jesus before his ascension that shows us how these disciples had their life radically changed. But we also see uh, and get clues as to how we are called, commissioned, and empowered to be part of the implementation of the kingdom of God. It begins with him speaking peace over them. He gives them his Holy Spirit of peace, and he prepares them for a great commission, a purpose. Mark Sayers has this idea that he equips and commissions them to be a non-anxious presence in a troubled world. That's what they were called to be. And why is that important? Well, because if the very point of Jesus' kingdom was overcoming death, and here they are huddled scared of death in the upper room, it makes sense that he comes and equips them to overcome the very thing that they're worried about. Remember, Paul says, uh, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? He has this revelation that death's grip no longer has a hold on us. Jesus says uh, in John 16, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the baseline call, to be 
a non-anxious presence in a troubled world. But the three things in our text that we're going to look at is that they were called, that they were commissioned, and they were empowered to live out the, the, the implementation of the kingdom that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection had inaugurated. So firstly, in this text, we see they were called, called to live in God's story. In verse 6, it says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, it's important to note that they were expecting some sort of ending that's a part of the story that they had already lived in. This question is a clue that they're looking for something specific. They have grown up with their parents and their great-grandparents and through generations telling the story of redemption of God through his people. And so now they're sitting almost like children around a fire listening to, listening to a parental storyteller saying, is this the moment? Is it happening now? They're holding on to the promises that evil will be overcome, that hope will be restored, and that he will reign. Remember, ringing in their ears is the prophecy of Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, and of the increase of his government there will be no end. They're expectant. And then Jesus responds to them in a very particular way and says to them, Hey, don't worry about the things that are not yours to worry about, but I'm calling you to be part of something. And this story that they're a part of, that they're assuming they're a part of, is the story at the heart of God. His love for his people and his restoration of his creation intent. The resurrection in place is not the beginning of the story. And sometimes we only live in Easter we forget that it is the culmination of the story of love that God started writing from Genesis all the way through. Now, the story that you live in will be the story that you live out. Pete Hughes said it so well when he was here a couple of years ago, that when we immerse ourselves in a particular narrative, that becomes the narrative that drives our heart, our mind, and our lives. Now, we have an option of two narratives, the dominant narrative of our culture, which is a consumeristic, technologically driven individualism. And that has infiltrated the church at large. It infiltrates my heart every day as I immerse myself in the culture that we're in. And the second option is the creation narrative, which says God miraculously creates and sustains. When we immerse ourselves in the dominant narrative, we forget the creation story. And what happens is we forego our rootedness. We forego where we've come from and who we are and why we exist as the purpose of God's creation. And the result is we have to self-invent. When we forego the creation narrative for the dominant narrative, we also forego the hope that we have that goes beyond death even, as the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us. What is our hope in life and in death? It is that we belong to God. And if we forego our hope in the faithful God of our future, we have to self-rely. And self-inventing and self-relying is an immense burden that we were not designed to bear. And one theologian says that when we do this, the result in our culture is a frightened meanness. 
And I just want to take a moment to say sorry to all of you or all of you who, ha who have friends and family of Asian descent. I've heard numerous stories this week from personal friends who just have recounted the meanness they encounter on the streets wherever they live. This is what happens when we forego the creation story and we feel like we have to self-protect, self-rely, self-invent. Walter Brueggemann says it this way, For it is only when the past is brimming with miracle and the future is inundated with fidelity that the present can be recharacterized as a place of neighborliness in which scarcity can be displaced by generosity. Anxiety can be displaced by confidence. Greed can be displaced by sharing. Brutality can be displaced by compassion and forgiveness. Recovering the biblical text, the narrative, includes the daring, persuasive conviction that God's fidelity outlasts every circumstance. Friends, in this time of trouble, it is imperative that we are immersed in the story of God so that we can have the conviction again that God's fidelity, His faithfulness outlasts every circumstance we find ourselves in. The story you live in will be the story you live out. The second thing that happens is He commissions them to play their part in that story. See, their problem in this moment was they were hoping he would just come and finish the job. And even though it is the inaugurated kingdom, it's not yet fully implemented. And the surprise is in his text, he says to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, instead of giving them the fix, he does what is needed to inaugurate the new kingdom, the new creation, and then he gives them purpose. He calls them back into the created purpose that they have, which was to rule and reign with him. He is not only restoring the kingdom at this moment of resurrection, new creation, he is restoring our role within that kingdom. We have a purpose in troubled times. Remember Friedrich, Friedrich Nietzsche said this, He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. No matter how tough it gets, that purpose drives us forward. Of all the ways in which God could have brought his kingdom, he chooses one most congruent with his nature. He chooses one from the beginning as he intended through deep an abiding relationship. He chooses us. That's remarkable and it still puzzles me, but I am so grateful that we get a purpose in this new kingdom. If God restores his image in us, this distorted image through sin, then he also restores our ability to reign and rule and govern in his way. And if he restores our ability to rule and reign in his way, he restores our ability to love our world in a way that brings and leads to righteous relationships restored. Presence, formation, and love. 
These three values are values that have been identified by the elders of this church as, as three things we cannot give up. Presence, being with God intimately to know who he is so that we can be formed into his image more and more so that we can love our world the way that he loves the world. In this moment, Jesus gives them back and us back our creation mandate, which was to create order out of chaos, to lead and love with the Spirit of God upon us. But Adam and Eve lost that. They lost the authority that was given to them. And what ensued was chaos out of the order that God created. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus comes and he restores, firstly, the authority. He gains back the authority that Adam and Eve lost. He overcomes sin, Satan, sickness, and death. And therefore, he can say in this text, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now, in that authority, he commissions us with a purpose to carry on forward. In our first year of living in New York, we had a really rough time. You've heard some of that story. Some of you at least have heard some of that story. But I remember walking the streets of New York one day, crying out to God to remove from me the burden of the suffering and sorrow that I was in and our family was in in that moment. And I heard him say pretty clearly to me, as clear as I could imagine, that he is giving me something through that. He's given me an empathy, a way to relate to the city that would help me love this city that he has called me to. Church, this phrase, acquainted with sorrow and anointed with joy, is something that has been spoken over the life of this church for a while now. You have been, we have been through troubled times, but I feel like prophetically God has prepared us and equipped us through everything that we have been through to be in this moment for our city. He has planned our presence here and he is commissioning us to be the church to the city that is mourning and will mourn for a time to come still, anointed with joy in the midst of having experienced great sorrow. Our purpose in this city is never more crucial and clear than it is right now. There is an inauguration of the kingdom, but he calls you and I to implement his kingdom as we go. Now, that might be scary, uh, but he says the way he does that is the kingdom moves through relational lines. We've mentioned that a few times, and it begins with intimacy with him, being with Jesus. And that's the third thing. He says he empowers us and he fills us by the Holy Spirit. He fills his people with the Holy Spirit uh, that we're reading of and he fills us with the Holy Spirit. This is the text. But wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says the thing that we New Yorkers hate hearing. Just wait. It's the worst thing you could say to us New Yorkers because we want to get out there and get it done. And he says, just wait. For what? 
Wait for God to give himself to us. He's giving us his presence. And yet we somehow, our, our nature wants to rush off without him. Remember Moses? He said, God, just don't lead us onward if you do not go with us. And in some senses, church, this has to be the cry of our hearts in a time where we are forced to slow down. God, we don't just want to go back to normal. We don't just want to go back unless you go with us. Frederick Buchner says this, It is out of the whirlwind that Job first hears God say, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? It is out of the absence of God that God makes himself present. It is not just the whirlwind that stands for his absence, not just the storm and chaos of the world that knocks into a cocked hat all man's attempts to find God in the world, but God is absent also from all Job's words about God and from the words of his comforters, because they are words without knowledge that obscure the issue of God by trying to define him as present in ways and places where he is not present, to define him as moral order, as the, as the best answer man can give to the problem of his life. God is not an answer man can give. God says, God himself does not give answers. He gives himself. And into the midst of the whirlwind of the absence, of his absence, he gives himself. Perhaps what God is doing through this time is that he's trying to give us himself. Perhaps what we are doing is we're filling our time being too busy to pause and seek for his perceived presence in a time of perceived absence. And so I want to call us to wait. Don't rush back to normal. Wait for God. Wait for him for he will be found by you. During this time, wrestle with him. Give him your questions. Ask him for his spirit to come upon you. John Gregg said this, If we don't have God, we have nothing. If we have God, we have all we will ever need. He gives us his spirit, not only for peace, but for power. And so we wait for him. And if we don't have his spirit, one of two things happen. Either pride where we go about the mission of God without the Spirit of God and we think we can do it. And uh, I think we lean that way pretty easily. Or we go to despair where the mission seems so big and impossible that it seems too great for us. By the Spirit of God, we don't have to lean into the pride of our own flesh or the despair of our own flesh, but we can lean on Him. Church, how do we face the great trouble, the opposition, the weakness, the challenge that we're in. How do we overcome like they overcame, like the story they were a part of? We receive his peace. We take our place in his story. We receive the purpose, the commissioning of God for us in our day. And we live by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength. A few last thoughts. In order to live in the story of God, uh, we need to immerse ourselves in that story and anchor ourselves 
with spiritual anchors. We do communal practices during this uh, Rest in Peace series. We are doing the spiritual practices of Sabbath and compassion. Those are immensely important to practice in this time. But I want to I, I challenge you, before you go to bed at night, would you put your phone away? Because it is, in, in one sense, a portal to the dominant narrative of our culture. Open your, your Bible and for two minutes, read a psalm, meditate and pray. Just spend a few minutes as you go to bed, immersing yourself in the, in, in the creation narrative, not the dominant cultural narrative. And in the morning when you wake up, do not let your Insta feed, the news feed, be the first thing that fills your heart and mind. Open the word just for a few moments again and meditate on his promises. Meditate on, on his words. Meditate on the story of God. At least those two things, I think you will find yourself immersed in his story way more than in the dominant narrative. And when we do that, remember what happens? A deep conviction that God's fidelity outlasts every circumstances. Every circumstance. Next, do not forget the habit of being neighbors at this time. We are more incarnate than we ever have. If there are ways in which you can check on your neighbors, pray for them, ask them if they need anything, now is a greater time than ever to be the people of God uh, in your neighborhood, incarnate as Christ was. And then lastly, foster a deep reliance on the Spirit of God. When you wake up in the morning, remind yourself through prayer how much you need Him. And day after day, minute after minute, just go back to a prayer saying, God, I am empty. I need you. I need your power. I want to find you today. Show yourself to me. Remember, His promise in the Word is, if you diligently seek Him, He will be found by you. Let us pray. God, as we look at this text and as we see how the original disciples were transformed from locked in, anxious and fearful to those willing to give their lives, something radical happened when they encountered the risen Christ. And today for this church, I pray that we would hear the calling the commissioning and the empowering that you speak to us today, that we can also overcome the greatest of trouble because you are with us. We will not go up from here unless you go with us. We long for you. Come and speak this over our lives. Even today we pray. Amen.